Hey there, Magnum subscribers. This is the first of our new Sex and Politics Savage Lovecast bonus conversations just for subscribers. We're calling them Sex and Politics for short or S&Ps for even shorter. We're going to be doing these because, well, we love you and want to give you extra content. We're going to do them because we can and we're doing them because I really enjoy talking politics and I want to talk politics with more guests than we can reasonably fit on our weekly Lovecast. In the future, we're going to toss at least one sex question at our guests for S&P, but I conducted this conversation with Amanda Marcotte from Salon for S&P before we made that decision. So Amanda didn't have to answer a sex question with me, so you could say she got off easy. We hope you enjoy your first sex and politics, and there will be more S&P for you in the future. Famously, the mid-19th century, pardon me, mid-20th century journalist H.L. Mencken said, Puritanism, the haunting fear that someone somewhere may be happy. Being a liberal these days, being a progressive, sometimes it can feel like we're the ones who are worried that someone somewhere might be happy. In a recent piece for Salon, senior political writer Amanda Marcotte, author of the book Troll Nation, raised the alarm about the creeping grimness of the left's messaging and why that is a problem for us heading into the 2022 midterm elections. Hey, Amanda, welcome back to the Lovecast. Thanks for having me. So what's the deal here? Lefties, progressives, you say that you made a journey from republicanism to progressivism, being a liberal uh, when you were younger. And in part, it was because the left was having more fun. And these days, that seems to be not true. It seems like the right, the arsonists on the right are having all the fun and people on the left are grimly canceling their Spotify subscriptions. (laughs) It's true. I mean... I, yeah, obviously when I was young in the nineties and I, I guess that makes me old now, but you know, I feel like despite the fact that we were still up against a religious right, we were still up against some pretty serious problems. It was just a, a more fun time. You know, I feel like, you know, a lot of protest music was riot girl type stuff or Nirvana or, or fun music like that. And movies, TV, everything just seemed more fun on the left. And there was a pandemic on then as well. We were at the height of the HIV AIDS pandemic. And one of the things that characterized ACT UP demos was how much fun they were. We had a blast. Yeah, that's definitely one of the things. I don't know if you saw that uh, British show, It's a Sin, but it's well worth watching because I feel like one of the things that really came across, and I hope people kind of really learn from this, is that at the height of the AIDS epidemic, a lot of people leaned more into the idea that life is short and therefore we should have fun. Right. And fuck the people who are trying to slap the dicks out of our mouths. (laughs) Exactly. But how did it come to this where right-wingers, as you write at Salon, have done a surprisingly good job at marketing themselves as edgy trolls and painting the left as a bunch of dour snowflakes? How did they do that? Why is it a problem? I mean, a lot of it's bullshit, right? Like a lot of it is this like relentless drumbeat of claiming that the left is doing cancel culture all the time and that you can't even open your mouth and no one can make a joke It blah, 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 without the hammer coming down on your head. And that repetition, I think, has helped the kind of right wing argument here. But I do think in the past couple of years, especially liberals haven't really been doing ourselves any favors um, making that argument go away. On the contrary, I think that with the pandemic, with kind of the rise of fascism, 
with so much that's just weighing down on us, like we've lost our sense of humor, we've lost our sense of fun. And a lot of politics right now is about, yeah, being draconian, being punishing, being um, retaliatory instead of thinking about creative ways to, to attract people to be fun again. Uh, and, and I think what really co- like coalesced for me was watching all these people cancel their Spotify subscriptions in response to the Joe Rogan podcast. I, I support the cause of trying to deplatform Joe Rogan, but like, can we find a way to do it without just subtracting one more source of joy from our lives? Well, you just said that we don't, you know, the, the right has unfairly accused us of uh, on the left of supporting cancel culture, so-called cancel culture. And yet you just endorsed deplatforming Joe Rogan. How do you spare that? <laughs> That's a good point. Um, you know, he, I, I think that the idea that somebody's entitled to a $100 million Spotify contract to lie about vaccines falls outside of the purview of legitimate discourse about cancellation, censorship, things like that. Right. And I completely agree. Lives are at stake. And yet, I don't think people should be canceling their Spotify subscriptions, denying themselves the pleasure of Spotify, also because it's going to be useless. But to complain, I'm all for complaining about Joe Rogan. I did a whole intro to uh, one of the Savage Love casts back when Dave Chappelle's last comedy special hit about, yes, we should scream and yell. But I don't think... It helps if we say, and his stuff should be disappeared. People shouldn't be able to watch it. And the point I made was Eddie Murphy's comedy special from the 80s, uh, which I think was called Delirious, which has the most vile anti-gay shit in it. And just vile misinformation about HIV AIDS, including that you can pass it along with a kiss, is still up. And it was on Netflix at the time, just like Dave Chappelle's special. And I feel like we should engage and we should argue, we should scream, we should yell. And I think your point is is correct. Nobody has a right to a $100 million contract and Spotify has to be held accountable for the things they put on their own platform in that way. But I just feel like it plays into the right's bullshit about the left when we're like, and we're going to take Joe Rogan away. And we're not going to let you watch uh, the Dave Chappelle special. Yeah, I mean, I think that there is, I I share the concern that there is a backlash problem, especially with the sort of subtractive mentality, right? Especially Mm -hmm. when the only discourse around this is people taking Spotify away from themselves um, and leaving it only, leaving the fun of the streaming service only for the worst people on the planet. Like, constantly removing ourselves from the conversation, constantly taking things away from ourselves and, and sacrificing and sacrificing isn't doing much, but kind of contributing to this narrative that the left is just doesn't want us to have fun. Yeah. The left is going to find something that gives you joy and yank it away when it's actually the right that wants to yank away your birth control wants to force you to have children uh, to give birth against your will is now, as we're seeing all over the country, taking books out of libraries uh, and uh, out of school libraries. And now the don't say gay shit in Florida, it is the right that is censorious and controlling. And yet the right 
is always really good of accusing the left of doing that which the right is doing, that projection shit that the right engages in. And you want to say as a lefty, don't reinforce that. Don't give them a hook to hang that on by telling people not that they should think about these things while they watch Dave Chappelle's special, not that they should think about what Joe Rogan is doing, but they shouldn't be that no one should be allowed to, to watch that special or listen to Joe Rogan. That's where I think we have a problem. I'm all for screaming and yelling about what Dave Chappelle said about trans people and making some noise and making people think about it and being a part of the discourse. I am not for yanking shit. And it just feels like on the left, there's a lot of this yanking shit, but, but that, that lefty thing about you should feel bad. Is it new? I went to college in the eighties, which was like, Peak, how dare you be happy? Don't you know what's going on in Tibet? How dare you be happy? Don't you know what's going on with our armed forces in Nicaragua? How dare you have fun? Today, we can just swap in Palestine for Tibet, Darfur, Yemen, Ukraine, Afghanistan for Nicaragua. And it's kind of the same thing. So has much really changed? I mean, this has always been a tension on the left. I mean, wasn't it Emma Goldman who said, it's not my revolution if I can't dance to it? That was... She was reacting to the same kind of puritanical attitudes in the American left in the 19th century, right? In the <laughs> 19, in the teens, in the at the time of the Russian Revolution, the, the 1910, 1920, yeah. If I can't dance, I don't want to be a part of your revolution. And those scolds are always out there. Like, this is the revolution, stop dancing. Dancing has to be a part of every revolution or no one wants to come. Yeah. Exactly. I think that that's, that's always been a tension point, but I think that in the past couple of years, it's just gotten worse. And I think that, you know, and, and honestly, I think for instance, this book banning situation, as I say in the article, like the fight over reproductive rights, I'm not seeing anybody making the joyful argument for why we should have these things, right? Why, you know, the discourse about books has been so heavily focused on the importance of educating children, which I'm not against, but I haven't really seen anyone talk about the joy of just reading a good book and how we should give that joy to our children, right? And I I haven't really, I've seen for a while, for most of the time I've been an adult feminist writing, we've talked about reproductive rights to some extent as a sexual freedom issue, but the discourse lately has all just been just only focused on like rape victims and domestic violence and, and other just worst case scenarios. And, and it's, it's depressing. Right. It (laughs) it is depressing and it's not going to help us in 2022. If we assist the right in painting the left as the dour scolds and the people who want to, you know, slap the dick out of your mouth or slap Dave Chappelle's dick out of your mouth. Can I run something by you uh, and and ask for a judgment on how bad I should feel about this as a lefty? Okay. (laughs) I watched Louis C.K.'s last special. Mm -hmm. I didn't give him any money. A a friend watched it. She, a woman, she sent me the link and I was weak in the middle of the night and bored and used to be a big fan of Louis C.K.'s. And I watched it 
and I enjoyed it. And I'm nervous to say so in front of a microphone, not because the right wingers who scream and yell at me a lot are going to scream and yell at me, but because my own audience might scream and yell at me because lefties, people I like, and I feel like I'm on the same side with are going to scream and yell at me. I haven't seen it, so I can't render judgment on on your taste, really. But <laughs> there were parts of it I didn't enjoy. It wasn't like Louis C.K. of like fifteen years ago, uh, when everybody on the left was kind of in love with Louis C.K. It was like hit or miss. But you know, he can still land a joke, and some of that shit made me laugh. And I feel terrible about it. And I feel terrible about it not because of the right, but because of the left. Yeah, I I really. I'm just, I don't think that's really very helpful and it's certainly not very creative the way that we're like, yeah, policing people's just enjoyment of a thing, whether or not they enjoyed it. You know, we could discuss the impact or value. And in fact, I think we should, I think we need to talk about these things, but I think at the end of the day, you're asking people to lie and I don't, I never feel comfortable with that. Right. Like I, I, I don't like being told that I can't, that it, like, for instance, it, it was, it's just a lie to say that certain musical artists, cause I'm a big music person are terrible when they're not because they did terrible things. Like they're still good. There's so many great records by terrible people out there. And I would be lying if I said otherwise, I think we've lost a lot of nuance. And and it's just a race to the bottom in a lot of ways. Maybe what we need to be able to say again is, is to pair these two things. That is at once a pleasure and problematic. It is a problematic pleasure. And you can have that pleasure and sit with what's problematic about it. I certainly get what's problematic about Louis C.K. I've talked about him a lot on my show. I get it. And I get why it's a problem. That watching that special was still a kind of pleasure for me. But I am not in denial about how problematic a figure he is. And I think there's, you know, there's so much condescension that I, I'm really getting turned off by. When I was younger and book bur- like book banning was solely the province of the right, one thing that would always strike me is all these conservatives would lecture about, well, they read the, the, the scary bad book that they wanted banned. And somehow they managed to walk away still feeling the way they did about the world. And yet they didn't trust that anybody else could be trusted with this material, that anybody else could read it and still walk away um, a whole human being. Un- and I, <laughs> Uncorrupted. Yeah, exactly. And I, I think that we need to have a little more faith in people, a little bit more faith that people can hold multiple realities in their heart, you know, that they can know that uh, a record by Ike Turner is good while Ike Turner is a terrible person. Both things can be true. A sculpture by Bernini can be beautiful. And you read about Bernini's personal life and he was a monster. And yet we're not yanking those Baroque uh, sculptures out of churches in Rome. That's always my go-to example. Bernini was a piece of shit. He did beautiful work. But the, the overarching point of your piece, though, and, and I've heard David Plott say this a lot on the politi- Slate's political gab fest, is that it's the group that seems to be having the most fun that tends to win elections. Yes. And I think that if, you, if nothing else motivates people to try to be more creative about how we engage these discussions, it's got to be that. 
because we're going to lose if we're not more fun. <laughs> or we don't let ourselves be the, the, the party of yes and fun. And also the party of think about it or the political movement of like, let's think about it too. But pleasure, fun, joy, connection, community, and complications and contradictions as well can be a part of the party. Well, and it creates more, it causes more creative opportunities, right? So you don't, you find out something troubling about an artist or a work or something that you liked, or you don't like somebody else's work. You know, I would definitely say Joe Rogan of all people is not somebody whose work is worth defending. He's a, he's boring. His show is tedious, but think about instead of just no, 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 Think about how we can get to yes, how how we can make more work, how we can make countervailing messages, how we can expand our minds and expand what's possible as a, instead of shrink it. Amanda Marcotte, senior political writer for Salon. Check out her recent piece, Stop Feeding Joe Rogan's Trolls. Progressives Must Reclaim the Politics of Pleasure. Thank you so much for coming back on the show. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me. And it was a, it was a great piece, a very bracing read. Thank you. Thank you. I really appreciate that.